Good morning, River Tree. I'm so excited uh, for this Sunday uh, and what we're going to experience together uh, through God's Word this morning. Uh, but there's some other things that I'm excited about too this morning. The, the scenery uh, on the stage has changed a little bit <laughs> if you're watching online uh, because our location has changed. Uh, we are broadcasting yeah. this service from the downtown campus, and so it's a it's a first for yeah. us, which is really exciting. Uh, to get ready for next Sunday when we'll be opening up the downtown and the Cove campuses uh, to uh, in-person worship. And so an email went out end of last week that described more of just what that experience would look like. Uh, it would also um, give you an opportunity to reserve a seat. And so we would love for you to get connected uh, and, and follow through with reserving a seat, being part of our online, ex uh, our online experience, but also our in-person experience as we move forward. And so that reservation can be made at either campus, services at 9 and 1030, uh, and you can read kind of what to expect. There's a great uh, presentation of what the services will look like moving forward, uh, of how we'll gather, of how we'll maintain uh, social distancing, and how we'll do some of those things that will help ensure that this is really uh, going to be a safe environment, but one that we've been looking forward to for a long time. And so we're thrilled that we'll be moving towards that. So go online today uh, under the events page, and you'll see a link that will help you reserve uh, a seat for that Sunday. We're looking to seat about 150 people in each of those services at 9 and 1030, knowing that about 100 people will be able to sit in the worship area, and then there'll be some overflow venues as well, uh, particularly one, one venue, too, at each campus dedicated to those that feel more comfortable wearing masks uh, without congregational singing. And so follow through looking at all of the details of what those, that event looks like uh, moving forward next Sunday, and we would love to see you guys here. There's another gathering that I want to tell you about just briefly before we open up God's Word together. Uh, it was a prayer gathering downtown uh, this past week, mm -hmm. and uh, Stephen and I and others were able to attend, and it was a, a gathering of area pastors, and they just began to pray, uh, pray for the city, pray for our country, uh, pray for our churches, and the majority of those pastors that prayed uh, were black pastors, and I can just tell you that it meant a lot to mm -hmm. me uh, to hear their heart uh, and to hear their hope, and it just began to bring to mind just various scriptures and various sentiments that we are to have as a church towards one another and towards our neighbor. And uh, I thought immediately about the, the Romans passage that says, rejoice with those who rejoice mm -hmm. and mourn with those who mourn. Mm -hmm. I began to think about what it looks like in, when Second Peter talked about those people that we're in a relationship with, particularly even in marriage, that we live considerately with one another. Mm -hmm. Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus became a servant, how he began to think of other needs more important than his own. And you see that disposition in Jesus, that posture that he took to be thoughtful, to be sacrificial. And as he began to move in a disposition of love towards those around him, it, it looked like sacrifice. It was sacrificial love that he began to embody. And all of these kind of ideas began to resonate in my own heart that we need to be a people moving, especially into this next season within our city, within our country, of people who are committed not just to the word of God, but to the very acts of God, mm -hmm. that we are people who are loving in word and deed. And so uh, Stephen and I will be participating in another pastor's meeting this coming Monday, uh, where area pastors will begin to pray together, share together. And so I just want to keep you connected with, with the ongoing work that is happening in our city that I'm praying, and I know we both are, right. that God would use this time to further the gospel and to strengthen his church 
and to see people experience Jesus in a deeper way. And so I just want to pray for that as we open up our service and time in God's Word. So pray with me. God, thank you so much for a chance to gather uh, wherever we are right now, that there is a connection that we have to one another because of Christ. And our connection in Christ creates a, a oneness, and I pray a unity that would be strong and powerful for us as we move forward. God, let our hearts be moved where they need to be moved. God, let us be mindful of what it looks like to be a, a, a community that has been so touched by the sacrificial love of Jesus that we also begin to extend that through our prayers and through our deeds and through our words. God, bring the church to life in this season. And I know as we begin to open up your word right now, let it speak to our hearts. Let our hearts respond back to you and use this time for us to understand more of who you are and who we're to be because we are all image bearers. Yes, Father. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Ross. Yeah, awesome. Um, it's a joy to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 16 as we continue our study um, in, in the book of Psalms. And, and I so appreciate Zach Carter kind of kicking us off last week. And I'm looking forward to hearing Ross kind of continue next week. But I'm excited to be here this morning. As Ross said, we are downtown. And that's exciting for me too, just to be with you downtown and to be broadcasting from downtown because a lot has changed, right? A lot has changed over the last couple months, but there is so much that hasn't changed. Uh, one of the things that I know that hasn't changed in my own life is my ability to embarrass uh, my family in public settings, okay? Uh, this, this manifested itself just last week. Uh, my wife and I, last Wednesday night, after church was over, we had a chance to kind of grab a quick date night. So we went downtown, we grabbed a restaurant, we had a great view of the city, and we're sitting there, we're enjoying our conversation, we're enjoying the view, and then out of the corner of my eye, I, I see Cassie Duckett, uh, our children director and I'm excited to see Cassie because I haven't necessarily seen her in a while and so I want to say hi to her so I stand up and I go Cassie and my wife is like that is not Cassie Duckett and I'm like no it is and she's like no and Cassie I, oh man I'm gonna apologize for this now but like the lady was like 60 and Cassie you are not 60 okay <laughs> I can't believe I said that on camera but I, my wife blaming on my cornea disease right but like I just embarrassed her she's like I need you to sit down. I need you to sit down now. And it's, it's crazy because as much as changed in our world, so much about this hasn't changed. And that would not only be in our personalities and our relationships and our friendships, but even for River Tree, even for River Tree, like we still have a heart to reach Hampton Cove where God's planted us. If you've driven down Taylor Road and if you've driven kind of on Old Big Cove, you know what they're doing? They're building houses nonstop. So part of the reason that God joined Southside and River Tree together uh, a year ago almost was for this vision so that we can have more seats as people start to come back to church and as people start to, to look for whatever is filling their hearts. So I'm excited that we're going to be part of that together, that this is something that we get to do together, that not only do we get to reach Hampton Cove, but God has positioned us uniquely in the city to be a church that helps one another know Jesus by sharing the gospel in our lives. So I'm excited to be a part of that, and I'm excited for what God's going to do here downtown and in Hampton Cove. And as much as, as things have changed, what hasn't changed is God's heart for people. 
Like God is continuing to pursue his people. And that's why we've, we've put money into this campus. And that's why we continue to put money into the Cove campus, because we want to see people reached with the gospel. And as we move into Psalms, I kind of want to remind us where Zach took us last week as he introduced Psalms chapter one and chapter two. Zach said this, that the Psalms give us an opportunity to be human before God. In other words, when Zach, Zach broke that down and he said these words, that it actually allows us to be honest and open before God. And I so appreciate that about the Psalms. Like, I so appreciate that the Psalms begin to give me a language with how I can respond to what God is doing in my heart, in my life. It's raw, right? Psalms. If you read Psalms, like you're, you're seeing raw, real emotion, but often it feels a little risky too. Um, and and what I, when I read the Psalms, it's like I'm getting a window into their private and their personal life. I'm seeing what's beyond the surface of a person. I'm seeing into the recesses of their hearts. And what I wrestle and what they wrestle with, what they're rejoicing about, how they're viewing life, how they're viewing the, the situation and the culture that's going around them. But I want to I just be really transparent with you for a moment this morning. When I read Psalms, specifically Psalm 16, and I come to a phrase, for you, God, I take refuge. Or I see the words that were in, in kind of the bumper video this morning that says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you're with me. Or read in Psalm 16 when David says, I have no good apart from you. I know these statements are true. Like, I don't doubt it. In my head, intellectually, I know those are true statements about the nature and character of God. But there are moments, if I'm honest, that I don't always allow myself to experience these realities. Or at least I'm not aware of the reality of the statements like this. And while the idea of refuge sounds great to me this morning, I read it and I prepare and I think about it and I study and say, yes, God, God as refuge is right. God as refuge is good. But I can walk in seasons of life, specifically like the last 90 days, where it's something that doesn't seem real to me always. But, but I want you to know this, okay, and understand this, that even though it may not seem real to me, and maybe it's something we have in common in this room this morning, maybe it doesn't always feel real to you. It doesn't change the fact that God is a refuge. Like, it doesn't change who God is. I mean, as we turn on the TV, right, this last week, and we watch the news cycles, and we turn to social media, and we see debates from people that we love and respect on every side of an issue, and all we hear is noise, right? And we see the numbers of coronavirus cases seeming to go up at times, and then other times we see them going down. It can be confusing. It can feel like we're very uncertain in a time like these. When we see a global pandemic cause global chaos, we see it cause death and heartache. When this pandemic had the ability to isolate us from our friends and from others. When we become more hopeful that things are changing, then it's easy, if you're anything like me, to become a little more fearful that, well, maybe we'll get back together, but will the economy recover, right? Like that's, that's the question that could get in my mind. And we wonder, where is refuge from this? When we see protests on, their, on the streets every single day in our country, not only in our country, but when it hits a local level, 
And we see protesters in our city, even as we were having a prayer meeting Thursday night, we were very aware of the protesters right behind us, protesting injustice, protesting the death of another black man in an unjust situation. Like, like we struggle with what's going on. We see the unrest in our nation and refuge sounds good, but if you're honest this morning, it seems far off. Or even some of the more simple things in life, right? When family has maybe been isolated too long together and arguments start to kind of creep up in our family. Or man, our work isn't going the way we want it to. Or friendships or stress in our life. We can wonder, where are you, God? And there have been moments in the last three months that I have absolutely felt God's presence in a real and tangible way. When I started in, in kind of this, this, I guess, quarantine state, I was really hopeful. I thought, man, what an amazing opportunity to just like have a little bit of a pause on life and to sit around the dinner table with my family and open the word and memorize scripture. But there, there's also been moments in my life where I felt distant and even empty. Eugene Peterson, when he begins to describe the Psalms, he says this, the essence of the Psalms are a response to what God has already spoken or to what God is already doing. So as we lean into Psalm 16 this morning, what I want to encourage you to see is David is not begging God to do something God is not doing. No, David is responding to God and what God has already revealed to David is true about himself. So let's read Psalm 16, starting in verse one. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are my excellent ones in whom all my delight in, is in. The sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or I will not take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, his, he instructs my heart. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. If my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I want you to reflect to me, with me real quick on who David is. David is a strong man. When David was a teenager, he struck down Goliath with a sling and a stone. When he was an officer in King Saul's army, people would sing this psalm found in 1 Samuel 18, 7. Saul has struck down his thousands, but David has struck down his ten thousands. David led a sort of guerrilla warfare for years in an army desert in Judea that was kind of like our special forces today. When he was on his throne, David's an amazing diplomat. And the reality is this, if there was ever a self-sufficient man, if there was ever a man who maybe didn't need a refuge, David is that man. 
Yet in his writings, what we begin to see is his confidence didn't lie in his own ability to provide refuge or protection for himself. No, his confidence was firmly rooted in the character and nature of God. It's a way we can relate to David, right? Because even in our country today, it's all about being self-made, self-sufficient, self-reliant. To, to, to tell anyone, hey, I need help, or to admit I don't know how to do this is ultimately to show weakness. Yet if you're anything like me, you've realized just over the last couple months how weak you really are without others. The Psalms shows us a picture of someone who has really come to an end of themselves. And David makes one request in this passage. It's, it's in the first verse, the first words, and it's preserve me. It's the only request. As you read the Psalm, the rest is a response to what God has already shown him. But he, he has this one request and he says, God, will you preserve me in this moment? Throughout scripture, that word preserve would mean to watch over or to see. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, you, you see that Adam would watch over the garden. It's the same word used of Jacob tending his flocks. So ultimately, the request that David has is this. He says, God, will you watch over me? Will you see me? And not just what's on the outside, but will you look to the deepest recesses of my heart, God? And will you begin to show me who I really am and who you really are? He's ultimately saying, God, don't forget me. I mean, what a sweet request, right? And I think for David, that's enough. Like that God sees him. That is enough to give him confidence. To know that the God of the universe, the one who created all the kingdoms and everything before him, the one who created every animal and every ocean and every mountain, the one who breathes stars out of his mouth would see him is enough. And the rest of the psalm I would, I would contend is this, a response to the God who sees you a response to the God who watches over you. And what was true for David is true for us this morning, that no matter what we are facing, no matter if you're fearful of the pandemic, no matter the chaos in the streets, and no matter the economic strife we, must face, we might face, God sees you. I mean, it's enough, right? To just know the God of the universe is watching over you this morning. Because knowing God is watching over you allows you to have hope and it allows you to rest. One of the longings we have at River Tree for every single person who walk in the door is this, that you would rest in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. And man, when you see God is watching over you and you see that God sees you and he loves you, it allows you to rest. Sure, none of us knows what's about to happen, right? We learned that. Recently, none of us knows what's going to happen next week. I know when uh, March started and we started getting word that we might be shut down or quarantined. Initially, here was my thought: Man, this is going to be great. Like, I'm going to have a week long vacation, an extra week of spring break, hang out with my kids. It's like a snow day, but everyone can say, No, 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 it's not like a snow day. And, and what I didn't expect in March is that that would last for 90 days. What I didn't expect in March was that my wife would get laid off and she would get furloughed. I mean, that's a conversation you don't expect. What I didn't expect in March was the loneliness and isolation I would feel from my friends and from the church. 
like those, like my, my little pipe dream of, hey man, the extra week of spring break all of a sudden turned into a reality that I did not understand how to navigate. And there were moments, guys, and some of you are my deep friends in this room, and we've had these conversations where I doubted, where I questioned, God, are you, are you really my refuge in this moment? And there were moments I felt distant from everyone and everything, but God was watching over me. God saw me, and no matter how I felt, nothing could change that truth. I think it's what Paul begins to recognize in Romans chapter 8. And it's a passage that we go to often, even when I preach. And one of the reasons is because I'm quick to forget the promises of God. But let's look at Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say of these things of God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, and I'll just say, or pandemic or protest? or economic collapse. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, right? Nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Paul knows this, and, and David knows it, and I believe this is what we've got to know this morning, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we will face, God knows us, he sees us, and he loves us. You are deeply loved by God. And it's in response to this that allows David to take refuge in God, to realize that anything good is found in God. And I think it's interesting because when you see that David takes refuge in God, this isn't necessarily surprising. The word refuge is used a lot of times in the book of Psalms, but I want to offer you this this morning. It's more than just a stronghold or a fortress. And why as great as those things are, and as I imagine a refuge being like that, it's deeper than that. Because if, if you've ever watched an epic battle scene in a movie, maybe Lord of the Rings or something else, and you've seen a stronghold, here's what you know. Those can be overtaken, right? But God as refuge is actually using this language that's used throughout the Old Testament, and it's the shadow language. It's just shadow imagery. God isn't just a refuge that we run into hoping that our enemies from outside and from inside won't destroy it. No, when we realize that refuge is talking about God's shadow, we start to realize that God's shadow is endless. In other words, that there is nowhere we could go, no height nor depth that we could go that could be outside of God's shadow or God's refuge in our lives. As believers, here's what we begin to understand, that we are always under the protection of God. And it, this idea begins to turn David's like, like prayer into worship. He says, God, you are, you are the Lord God. In other words, you are the powerful, good God. 
And he begins to realize that anything good he has in his life is found in God. It's the same truth that James would later kind of relate to in James chapter 1, verse 17, when James would say these words. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Don't miss that. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. James Montgomery Boyce, when he was writing on this psalm, said this. If we do not have God himself, even the best of things of life will be valueless to us. If we do not have God himself, even the best things of life will be valueless to us. There is no good gift that doesn't come from God. And the greatest blessing that you and I can have is God himself. If we do not have God and we have everything else, then everything else begins to become valueless to us. There's not one thing that is good that doesn't come from God. See, Satan begins to tempt us. And he begins to try to change our thinking, making us think that there are things outside of the very person of God that can satisfy us. And that's the essence of sin, right? The essence of sin is looking for good outside of God and his will. And it's true of my life. Even recently, there's been some flesh patterns that have kind of started to creep back up in my life. And I had a friend ask me a question recently, and this was the question he asked me. He said, what are you looking to outside of Jesus to satisfy you? I did not like that question, okay? I was like, you, you should be quiet. Like, don't ask me that. But that was a good question for me. Because it was true that when I look to anything else outside of Jesus to satisfy me, it becomes unpleasant. But when I realize what the psalmist would say later in this passage, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed, and I have a beautiful inheritance. I recognize this, that the boundaries, the lines that God has actually placed over my life is pleasant. It's what Jesus would offer us. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus would say these things. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? In other words, just knowing that God is your refuge, just knowing God is a rescuer, just knowing God is redeemer means nothing compared to what it means to know God. And I think what happens is when that vertical relationship with God is birthed in God's love for us and our love for him, our horizontal relationships and our love for God's creation and image bearers begins to take place correctly. That's why David could say, man, all my delight is in the excellent ones of the land. And it sounds great, right? A life of delight, a life of refuge, a life experiencing God, only found in God, yet David would look around the culture that he lived in and he would see a different experience happening in other people's lives. Look at verse four with me. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. See, there were those in David's day who would run after other gods. And instead of experiencing joy with those other gods, instead of experiencing delight with those other gods, instead of experiencing refuge and safety with those other gods, here's what David says, their sorrow was multiplied. See, in David's day, people would run towards all sorts of false gods. 
And they would create images of these false gods. Maybe it was the sun god or the fertility god or, or the rain god or, or the economic god, whatever you want to call it. And they would run and they would worship those gods and they would try to appease those gods. But what happened is it just added to their sorrow and their suffering. And what David realized was this, that those so-called gods that they were trying to appease wasn't relieving their suffering. It was only adding to it. And I listened to Tim Keller talk about this idea. And Keller makes this observation. Like today, most likely none of us are going to run out of this room and worship a statue. Okay, like it's just not going to happen. But we have these little G gods or, or idols that we do run to. We often run to things for security, right? We run to money for security, run to sex for security, control for security, and other things that we think can bring us refuge and security. We think they can save us, but Keller says this, unintentionally what we do is we give them divine nature over our lives. And what we come to understand is that when we look to things outside of God to bring us safety, security, good, refuge, ultimately those things will let us down because they were never meant to save us and they will only add to our suffering, not take away from it. We may think for a moment that if we worship money, right? Like if we worship money, like we are good. As long as we have money, nothing can shake us. But man, that, that cannot save you. We may think of all our relationships are perfect and good and, and we're popular and well-liked and well-thought-of and we have the spouse we want and the family we want and then we're good, but that was never meant to save you. Your kids make lousy saviors, okay? And so does your spouse, and you know that probably already. But God has so much more for us and he longs for so much more for us. And he chooses us. And as God chooses us, we get to choose him. As verse five says, it was our cup and our portion. And when David moves through verse five and six, there's four words I want you to see. He says, portion, lot, lines, and inheritance. And the people of David's day would have known that he was referring back to the time of Joshua when Joshua divided the land. He divided it into portion, lot, lines, and inheritance. There was boundary lines demarking the borders of the land. And the land was actually an inheritance to pass down to generations. It, land was everything in Joshua's day. But one tribe didn't receive the same inheritance as everyone else. In fact, one tribe's portion of the land was different. God said to the Levites in Numbers 18:20, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. And then look what God says, for I am your inheritance among the people of Israel. That we would recognize that our beautiful inheritance is God himself. I mean, that's what David seems to realize. The true safety and security does not come from property and possessions, but from knowing God and his presence. Like, that's the issue, right? I think in some ways that's what's thrown the world into a, a tailspin. And that's why we're in shock and awe when things begin to come out of control because our systems were never meant to be our saviors, right? A strand of DNA can isolate us from each other. An unjust murder can cause chaos in the streets. The economy can fluctuate day to day. And we wonder why can't the things that we thought were supposed to keep us safe keep us safe? 
Why is there our government or the medicine advancements or, or the smart minds who run the economy? Why isn't that enough? Because they were never, never, never able to in the first place. The only place we will find real safety, real security is in Jesus. And for those of us who have been saved by Jesus, it is with great joy that we realize he's our inheritance. And it's with this beauty of this truth that at night we allow him to redirect our heart, as the psalm says, to give us counsel at night. And, and if our heart gets off during the day, at night we can rest and we can go to sleep because he begins to redirect us. It's in the beauty of this truth that we realize that nothing can shake us because our flesh is secure. But it's not only secure in this life. Our soul is secure for all of eternity. Look at the next verse. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, the New Testament writers definitely viewed this through the lens of the gospel. If you go to Acts and you see Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, what you'll see is you'll see Peter referring back to this passage relating to Jesus. And we know it's true, right? We know that Jesus was crucified on a cross for our sin, that he was buried in a tomb, but his flesh did not see corruption, that he rose on the third day and he is victorious over both death and sin. But we have that advantage looking back. David did not have that advantage that we have. No, in other words, David looked all around and he saw death and destruction. He saw decay of bodies. He saw his friends and his family die. But he had such a close relationship with God where he said, even though all this is happening to everyone around me, God, I believe you love me so much that you will not allow me to die. Like, man, if you read that and you start to process what David is thinking, that almost leaves you breathless. Like, that is a relationship that is beautiful. One commentator wrote this, the boldness of it almost leaves the reader breathless. How can a man see all men dying and note that all the children of men before him have died without exception and still say, God cannot let that happen to me? And this is what faith looks like. If God is really holding on to us, that he will not abandon us to death, that we have nothing to fear in this life or after. And this is amazing confidence, but better yet, we get to look back to the resurrection of Jesus and we, had, we get to have even greater confidence because we've seen it happen. We've seen the dead come back to life and that same promise that God had over his son Jesus to bring him back to life, he has over his church and over us that we can trust God in the face of death, that we believe on the basis of God's character that he will not abandon us to the grave. It's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not sleep, but we shall be changed in this moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. If you are a believer in Christ, you're in this room or you're watching at the Cove campus or you're watching online, death is not the end. It wasn't the end for Jesus and it will not be the end for you. And it's in that conclusion that David realizes, so in your presence, God, I have fullness of joy. Like the greatest blessing that God can give us is himself.
And if we don't have God, then the other gifts we have is nothing. And that's what David begins to bet his life upon. I read this question, this commentary, and it's on the life group notes later for you to process. But this is the question. If God gave you health, but didn't give him yourself, would you be satisfied? If God gave you a nice home, nice vacations and plenty of money, but didn't give you himself, would you be satisfied? If God, went, if you went to heaven and there were streets of gold and they were solid gold and there was clean, clean air and bright and there was no more sin and everyone got along without fighting or arguing or conflict, but Jesus was not there, would you be satisfied? If you have experienced God's delight and pleasure in you, then the answer would be no, because you would say with David, no, God, in you there's fullness of joy. Yes, I want sin to go away. Yes, I want fighting, argument, and conflict to end. Yes, I want injustice to be dealt with once and for all. Yes, God, I want those things, but more than I want those things, I want you. Man, and that's when change comes. We were created to be satisfied and secure in God here on earth and forevermore. And this morning, there's another place that you're experiencing so-called satisfaction. Realize that will only add to your suffering. So I invite you to stop and to rest and the everlasting refuge that is over you this morning that you cannot outrun. His shadow covers you and he longs to be your refuge. Let him be your everything. Let him be your inheritance and see just how beautiful our savior is. And when you do that, you'll experience in the fullness of joy in his presence. Let's pray together as the band comes. So would you be satisfied? Would I be satisfied? God, we need you. God, I thank you that it is true that you are a refuge. God, I thank you that it's true that we cannot outrun you. God, I thank you that it's true that you see every person watching online this morning in their homes. You see every person at the downtown campus and the Cove campus. You see every person in our city and you see what's beyond our surface. So God, we pray that you redirect our hearts this morning. God, the last three months has seemed so uncertain and all shaky. Lord, I know there's something that hasn't changed and that's who you are and how you love us. So Lord, as we sing this reflection psalm this morning over the church, I pray that they could rest. I pray that they would know that they don't have to do anything, God, because in you there is fullness of joy. God, we're ready for next week. We're longing for revival in the city, but we know it starts in the hearts of our souls. So we pray that it would start with us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.